Attorney, advocate, author, public speaker. The Lisa Wexler Show. WICC 600 AM and 107.3 FM. Flip that switch and turn on your brain. Here is Lisa Wexler. Hola, welcome to the show this morning. Lots more coming up. We're going to chat with Greg Katz of Smart Surfaces in about a half an hour. 203-333-9422. You can call me at 203-333-9422. Let's go to the phones. Howard from Stratford, you want to start us off this hour? Good morning. Good morning. So yesterday morning, apparently, uh, uh, Blumenthal was on the radio and I didn't catch it till last night, unfortunately. So I didn't get an opportunity to uh, to uh, jump in. <clears throat> but the subject was, you know, mental health, and it, which kind of ties into your conversation with, with your last guest. And I, I'm reflecting on the fact that uh, you may or may not be aware that <clears throat> in Newtown. There was an extraordinary, extraordinary mental health hospital. And it was during Reagan's era that he made the point of closing all these institutions down, that they were going to that these people who were challenged were going to be integrated into society. Well, they're integrated into society. All you have to do is walk down the streets of New York or streets of uh, uh, California, and you'll see where they're integrated. And it, it's about time that our Republicans who are just standing uh, or, or sitting on their hands step up and correct that situation. I think it's noble that the people uh, are, are, are doing something for these challenged people in, in the school systems today. But the bottom line is you've got a society that is looking for advanced education, advanced skills. So, so Howard, Howard, let, let me just let me just cut. let me just educate our audience a little bit. What you're referring to, I don't think is the one in Newtown. I think you're referring to the one in Southbury called the Southbury Training no. School. Is that no, how? no, there no? was one in Newtown. Oh, I know what you're talking training. about. I know the one in Newtown because it's been abandoned. I've seen it. I've walked yeah. by it. There's a big sanctuary there now. It's a big park. Yes, yes, right. yes. I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm, I'm, but I'm talking about. I think it used to be called Fairfield Woods. Watch. I think it used to be called Fairfield Woods or something like that. It was before yeah. my time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, co- you're correct. Yes. Okay. So, <clears throat> yeah. So yes, Ronald Reagan made this big. I think, idealistic pronouncement that he felt that far too many people were encaged and enclosed in these yep. facilities. And listen, we also had Willowbrook, where we knew that a lot of people were being kept in inhumane kind of treatments. I mean, he wasn't alone in noticing that we had not, as a society, done a very good job with a lot of these people. So he made the yeah, I argument... Think it, I think it was Kennedy's sister, I think, was... Uh... Well, she was given a lobotomy, and so then she was never able to function. Right, Rosemary, and the family never forgave them for it. Anyway, so so let me just continue with this, Howard, because I know a fair amount about this because of the work that I do. Yeah, I just wanted to get it out there. Yeah, no, listen, as a policy, we did way too much of a pendulum swing. I don't think anybody disagrees with you. 
Uh, the fact of the matter is everybody is entitled to be treated humanely, and we probably didn't do a very good job of that for years. But instead of closing the schools, we should have re-looked at the model, and we should have created a situation where people were treated better. But that, but, but we all know, and that's why we still have CVH, Connecticut Valley Hospital, and the uh, – what's it called? The Whit, not Whitney, the um, – Oh, I always forget the name, but it's the one that's right connected to CVH up in Middletown. We, Whiting, thank you, Whiting Institute. Thanks, Eric. Um, we know that there is always going to be a population of people that cannot function in society on their own, that if left to their own devices will not only be chronically homeless, but dangerous to themselves or others. We know this. And so we know that we need beds for them. In Connecticut, we have Greater Bridgeport Mental Health that provides some long-term psychiatric solution, and we have Whiting. And we don't have much else. We may have another one in Hartford. We don't have much else in the entire state of Connecticut. We, it's as the housing we, that I'm concerned about. Well, um, these, this is housing. What happens is the inpatient long-term psychiatric hospitalization is their housing, Howard. Yeah. That's where I they live, it. and they get admitted for a year at a time. So that's where they live. Every year they yeah. get reviewed again, and they get readmitted. And re- And these are not criminal psychiatric, by the way. This is not right. criminal. This is long-term psychiatric, usually acute schizophrenia, that even with the administration of medicine, they cannot function. It is a small percentage of the overall population. But New York has utterly failed because they don't even have that. Right. They, they have it, but they have it in yep. too few numbers. And so what they've done is they've cycled people out with schizophrenia after they're stabilized on medicines for five or 10 days or two or three weeks. And then they throw them out in the cold because they don't have any place to put them. And it's and it's horrible. It's it's cruel to them and it's cruel to everybody else. Horrible. I've got a uh, an acquaintance who. uh has a, a, a child that suffered from autism, and th- the biggest fear of this husband and wife was that they were going to die before they were going to be able to see their child uh, being able to take care of herself. And uh, she was fair, the child is fairly high on the spectrum, but you know that that's a parent's worst fear. And uh, I see that every day. I, I, And you know what the problem is, Howard? I'm going to tell you the problem in Connecticut. Ready? The problem in Connecticut is that if you have an IQ of under 69, you fall clearly and safely within the realm of the Department of Developmental Services in Connecticut, which is called DDS. And DDS has an array of small group homes where people eventually find placement and they live a decent life among a few other people, maybe two or three, four at the most, other people with developmental disabilities. They get 24-7 care. They are in a private, individual, single-family residence home setting, and they do pretty well. That's if you're an IQ of under 69. But if you're not an IQ of under 69, you're in the no-man's land if you've got a a diagnosis of autism. And I'm going to tell you this because I know this to be true, Howard. We don't have funding in the state of Connecticut for the pocket of people that have an autistic spectrum diagnosis over the age of 69, over the IQ of 69. We don't have the money for them. 
So we have parents that are scrambling to create their own resources and figure out a way to have some kind of a group setting for these kids with autism. Because just because you have an IQ of 70 or 71 or 75 or 82 doesn't mean that you have the life skills that enable you to function independently. Well, the whole society is changing where, you know, I mean, it's it's absolutely ridiculous to think that, you know, uh, the per- percentage of our high schoolers uh, getting out uh, af- after uh, grade 12 are, are actually going to be equipped to, to, to uh, leave uh, the kind of life that uh, our, gener- our generation of baby boomers live. It's simply not going to be there. I understand. They're not going to have the skills. Well, that's another conversation entirely. Howard, thank you for the call and the focus on mental health. It is a huge issue. Eric Adams in New York uh, has created a new policy as of several weeks ago in which, as the mayor of New York, he is directing the police, and this is very controversial, but he is directing the police in New York to pick up the homeless people that appear to be chronically ill and put them in hospitals whether or not they want to go. And if you say to yourself, well, didn't they always do that? The answer is no. The answer is no, they did not always do that. But they're doing it now for the first time. And, of course, the question becomes, how are the hospitals possibly going to accommodate all of these people? And the answer is they can't. Uh, And the answer is they are overstressed and overwhelmed. And there need to be new housing accommodations built for these people. Uh, they, They don't get well on their own. They frequently must have, must have the administration of antipsychotic medications in order to function. And when they stop taking those antipsychotic meds, they very frequently, and this is the fancy word the doctors use, decompensate and the symptoms come roaring back. And is it just their problem? Absolutely not. It's everybody's problem. Everybody's problem. I have no doubt that the woman who attacked my daughter in in at 10, 10 p.m. in broad daylight, as far as I could see, and Broadway, 10 p.m. is broad daylight on Broadway, was psychotic. She had lost touch with reality. She was paranoid, and she was angry, and she was dangerous. 203-333-9422. We'll be right back. Now, back to the Lisa Wexler Show on, on WICC 600 AM and 107.3 FM. We have with us a... Really extraordinary guest, Greg Katz, and I asked him to come back on the show because I was so jazzed about what he is doing with his life. I want to play a little bit of a clip before we speak to Greg directly. This is from his TEDx talk. Let's play clip one. I moved to Washington, D.C. to work in the Clinton administration. I bought a row house on Capitol Hill. But in the summer, even with air conditioning on full blast, it got so hot that I had to move from my bedroom on the third floor down a floor. And eventually I got sick of this. So I climbed up onto the roof to see what could be done. The roof was completely black and standing there, my feet got so hot that I had to jump up and down. So I did some research and I found that black roofs only reflect 10% of the light and absorbs the other 90%, turns it into radiant heat that heated up my shoes, my bedroom, and the neighborhood. And I learned that because of our dark surfaces, our dark roads, our dark roofs, our dark parking lots, our cities are eight degrees hotter in the summertime, and that this is called the urban heat island effect. And there's more from the TED Talk. Let's play clip two. 
Dark surfaces like roads get to 170 degrees. Eggs start frying at 158 degrees. And you know something's wrong with your surfaces or one of the fastest growth areas in pet supplies is special shoes for dogs who can't handle the extreme heat of the surfaces that we've covered our cities in. Dark surfaces absorb heat and re-radiate it during the day and also at night. So not only is it hotter during the day, it's also much hotter at night. And that means that our bodies cannot cool down. Greg Katz joins us now. He is a leader in so many ways of the idea that the surfaces of our planet need to be reexamined and changed in order to adapt to and mitigate some of the effects of climate change. He is the CEO and steering committee co-chair of something called the Smart Surfaces Coalition. He's the author of Greening Our Built World. I can't tell you how many other unbelievable organizations he's been in. He has an MBA from Stanford University. He's a certified energy manager. He was awarded the U.S. Green Building Council's Lifetime Achievement Award. He has served on a dozen clean energy corporate boards. And, of course, he solar PV powers his family home and electric car. Naturally, I would expect nothing less from you, Greg. Welcome back to the Lisa Wexler Show. Hello, hello, and thanks for coming back. Uh, Lisa, it's great to be on with you again. I have to tell you that the knowledge that you know, I feel like everyone needs to know it yesterday, and there's an urgency to what you know, and I want to go from the knowledge to the solution far faster than it seems we're doing. It's That's exactly right. And what's exciting about smart surfaces meaning surfaces that are reflective or green or porous, is you can apply them starting tomorrow. So Baltimore, for example, we worked with is passing a series of bills right now saying that when you do a new commercial roof, that roof has to be very reflective. So the, the day after you, you make a service more reflective, it bounces much more light back into space out of the atmosphere, which cools the planet. And it means that all that sunlight um, does not become unwanted heat. So your air conditioning bills come down, the temperature around the buildings come down, and there's secondary effects that are important, like there's less ozone because lower temperature means less smog formation. So what's exciting about the smart surface strategy is not only is it very cost-effective and has a large health and quality of life impact, but can be deployed quickly. So, Greg Katz, the Smart Services Coalition is, an, is a loosely held organization, right, of companies that are very wealthy American private enterprise companies. Is that right? Yeah, it includes that. We're a 501c3, so we're not-for-profit. The organizations that are partners include the American Public Health Association, the American Planning Association, the National League of Cities but also some corporates like uh, the World Cement Association uh, and and very large roofing companies. The solutions here are great for companies. They're great for employment. They reduce the cost of energy, flooding, mold, and health. And so it's one of these strategies that if you were 
a businessman as I am, you're excited about. If you care about health, as all of us do, you're excited about. If you care about quality of life environment, you're excited about. So it's another example where smart environmental health strategies turns out to be a really terrific strategy for competitiveness, for jobs, and uh, for financial well-being. So I'm bursting with ideas as I'm speaking with you, Greg Katz. And one of the things I wanted to ask you is, who is it most important for you to get in front of in the state of Connecticut so that you can share your knowledge about how easy and how beneficial it would be to change our surfaces? Who do you want to get in front of? I think the mayors of of the cities of uh, New Haven, Bridgeport, and other cities. And the reason this should matter to them is they can adopt strategies which will cool peak summer temperature by five degrees in the summer. And that has large benefits in terms of health, uh, tourism, people being outdoors, economic viability. It also means that the cities can systematically address other issues, environmental justice issues, increased threats of flooding, which, of course, results in mold, which has huge respiratory costs for young people and elderly and at-risk population. And so you can imagine a city like a Bridgeport or a New Haven adopting smart surfaces the way Baltimore is, for example, and then have a program to say, hey, we're a cool city. We're becoming cooler. We're part of a solution. We're not a city that's struggling uh, with, with trying to keep up. Rather, we're out ahead of the curve. And would that mean... One of the cities. And, so, and so what does yeah. that mean as a practical matter, Greg Cass? Does that mean that uh, building codes are changed so that new building permits are issued with an eye toward what the roof composite looks like, what the pavement composite looks like? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, it's a set of things like that. So the city would say, would create an incentive or a code requirement for building owners to adopt more reflective roofs. And it actually saves the building owners a lot of money. It includes saying, hey, look, there are public parking lots out there, and those all cause flooding and they're super hot. Wait a minute, that's not a good strategy. Let's put a row of trees down the middle to provide shade and manage that water. Let's make those surfaces more porous and reflective. What's great about this set of solutions is that they've been around for decades. There are lots of different commercial providers. So there's no technology risk. The challenge is for city to move from its current strategy, which is lowest first cost, to stepping back and saying, wait a minute, we should do the things that save us money over time. And not just at lowest first cost. We shouldn't do what we've been doing for 30 years just because that's how it's done. Let's be smart. Let's choose surfaces that make the quality of life of our city better and make our city more livable. Is this kind of strategy applicable on highways as well or only for less traveled streets? It's really better for less traveled streets. We, there's an initiative that we uh, develop, that we, we raise money for called the Cool Roadways Partnership that 30 towns and cities are part of. And that uh, in that initiative, there are 12 cities that are now resurfing residential roads and tripling reflectivity. And that means that the ambient temperature around those roads have started to drop measurably. 
And what's great about a surface that's more reflective is because it doesn't get as hot, it doesn't expand as much in the day and contract it. It doesn't crack as much. expand again the right. next day. Right, Exactly. It, la- it lasts longer. So yeah. it, pays, it pays for itself. And what about as individual homeowners, when we think about repaving our driveways or when we think about re-roofing our homes, are there contractors that are more knowledgeable about this locally that have a kind of certification that we could look for? Or are we just left with the individual kind of use this guy because he knows what he's doing? Like, what do we do as homeowners? A roofer will put will uh, put a roof on that you want. And a good way to research this is to go to the U.S. Cool Roof Rating Council, which is a government-supported, not-for-profit, supported by corporates. And it's very easy when you go to the U.S. Cool Roof Rating Council to look up the reflectivity of your roofing products. And you can then say to somebody who's doing a roof, hey, I want to have a more reflective roof. Take a look at the U.S. Cool Roof Rating Council. Choose one of the products that are nationally available that bounce more light back into space. When it comes to redoing, let's say you're going to expand a driveway, stop and say, wait a minute, do I really want a more oil-based product, super dark road that makes my house hotter? Or would it be better to use gravel? Would it be better to use a lattice with gravel in it or grow grass through it? We don't drive on our driveways very much. No, so we why don't. Have the same surface as a highway. It's ridiculous. It doesn't, make sense. it doesn't make any sense. I agree with you. That's why we went to gravel. I totally agree with you. We're chatting with Greg Katz, 203-333-9422, who is basically devoting his life and his career to trying to have us look at the surfaces on our planet that we have made so dark that we have, we have wasted so much petroleum. I mean, asphalts made with petroleum are some of these surfaces, do some of them use less oil? Yeah, they do. I mean, anything that's other than a highway, there's an alternative to. And even with highways, I mean, I I live in Rock Creek Park in Washington, D.C. So here's a road that goes through the park. And you would think that the strategy there would be to put in a gravel surface where the water drains down to the sides because it's parked. And instead, they applied an approach that we have in roads, which has got hard edges. The water goes into drains. Those drains go into water treatment systems. So this huge infrastructure for water management when the answer is right at hand. Let the water flow out of the road into gravel. (laughs) It goes back into the ground, yeah. the water gets cleaned, and it saves taxpayers a lot of money. It's so infuriating. We're chatting with Greg Katz. Don't you find it infuriating that the people who are in a position of making these decisions do so in a way that is so wrong? Doesn't that get you so, like, infuriated? It does to me. Well, I, I think it's not their, their fault. I mean, if you talk to a Department of Transportation, which is who makes most of the surface decisions in a city, and you say to them, do you ever think about heat or health or climate when you make a decision? They say, no, no, we only do lowest first cost. We don't have the authority to do anything but count first lowest first cost. So the problem isn't with the Department of Transportation. It's the lack of vision on the part of the people who – that department reports to. So the mayor of the city council has to say, wait a minute, we shouldn't do something stupid just because it's been done in the past. Let's be smart about this. Let's adopt strategies that protect our health, 
that increase jobs that protect our economic viability. So I think if there is fault here, it really lies with the governance of the cities. But now this coalition that's formed to support those cities and one of our partners, the National League of Cities, it's the largest city policy group in the country. The cities now know they can do better. They have the resources to do better. Now's the time to stop, step up and start making smart decisions for the city's health and future. Okay, so you want to meet Justin Ellicker or you want to meet Mayor Ganim? That's who you want to meet, Mayor Justin Ellicker. Of- I'd love to work. Yeah, I'd love to meet either. We just received $10 million in funding for us and our partners, and we're going to be working in nine metropolitan areas, Chicago, Atlanta, Dallas, and others, to help those cities transition to much uh, more rational, cost-effective, healthy strategies. I think you'll also so want to we, meet Mayor Caroline Simmons. She's the brand-new mayor of Stanford. Uh, would love to. Which really has undergone tremendous development uh, and tremendous infrastructure changes. I bet she'd be very receptive to you. And then there's Mayor Harry Rilling of Norwalk. And Norwalk is doing some fabulous things with tree planting for the first time. The people in charge are really taking a look at their overall environment in a way they haven't done in many years. So I think there are some other places that would all... I will make some introductions offline. That's wonderful. I grew up in Connecticut. I know how beautiful the trees are there. So it's exciting to hear that mayors in Connecticut are uh, are embracing trees and, and developing programs to expand tree coverage. But I really think it's also important that you educate the legislature. And Jonathan Steinberg, who is the representative from Westport, my town, just became the chair of the uh, Public Energy Committee. And and he'll be the chair of this for the very first time. And he's so interested in these things. I'm going to make an intro to you offline with him as well. He's passionate about policy. Terrific. Well, I look forward to that, Lisa. Thank you. All right, Greg Katz of the Smart Surfaces Coalition. Just keep doing what you're doing because eventually, like the recapture of our night skies, which is my other complete and total obsession, eventually we are going to get back to nature. It's going to take a generation, but we're going to do it. We're, and I'm going to live to see it. I'm going to live to see night skies again, birds that aren't, you know, taken off their migration and die because they go around the same lit building a hundred times and then die of exhaustion. I'm going to live to see some smarter solutions. I'm determined to live to see it. We know it. We have it. It's cheaper. It's more conservation-minded. And we're going to do it. We just have to do it. We just have to do it. God does give us these two great gifts of sunshine and rain. We mismanage it. And if we manage it right, it certainly uh, helps with birds. It helps with quality of life. helps with uh, creating communities that are more successful and uh, healthier and healthier and happier I mean we we have we, we have all these crises of mental health I think if we were to just look up the forest for the trees as another analogy and see that we have disconnected ourselves from nature we have injured ourselves so even in our own self-interest as human beings we have to reconnect with a with a balance and and that means looking at the decisions that we've been making on planet earth yeah we're, one of our partners is the Graduate School of Public Health at Harvard, who are quantifying some of the benefits, and those include psychological well-being benefits. And you can see it in people's cortisol levels and, and, and other things. And so there is that 
important human well-being dimension that you've talked about, which is so important. It's sort of sad to me, Greg Katz, that we have to quantify things to, to persuade people when it's such obvious common sense. I mean, we have to do it and we do it and we spend all this time doing it. And then we look up and we say, uh, yeah, it feels better if you sit under a tree. Yeah, it sort of does. <laughs> right? I mean, Can't really. argue. All right, so everybody has to read Shel Silverstein's The Giving Tree at least once or twice or ten times in their life, and that's pretty much the life lesson for this planet Earth. And there we are. We're done. Except except we don't want the trees cut down because they provide so much value. Well, that's so, the point of the please. book. You have to cry. Yeah. If you don't cry at the end of the book, you're not human. That's that's the point. <laughs> that's the point. Greg Katz, right. thank you very much for joining us today. What a pleasure. Thank you, Lisa. All right. Merry Thank everything you. and happy new year. We'll talk to you in the next the next part of the year. You're gonna to have to come back on. Thanks. Terrific. Thanks. Thanks. Greg Katz on the Lisa Wexler show with Smart Surfaces. We'll be right back. One act of kindness in public will affect everyone around you. I've always depended on the kindness of strangers. And welcome back to the show. It's Friday, and we are embarking on a holiday on one of our last weekends before holiday shopping. And the next weekend, we're really squeezing it in if we want to make it right, right before Christmas. 203-333-9422 is our number. And this is an opportunity every week where we all get so touched by hearing your stories. And the story that I want to hear from you today is a story in which somebody did something unexpectedly nice for you or for someone you know or for a stranger in front of you that you can tell us about. And you can call me at 203-333-9422. You know, and it's particularly, I mean, it's holiday time. And not that it isn't, you know, a good time every day to do something nice for someone. But we would hope that in this time where here in Connecticut the weather is getting colder and it's getting darker earlier, that we are thinking not just about our own good fortune if we have family and friends to be with on our holiday, but the fact that there are people that don't have that. There are people that are going to spend the holidays in hospitals. There are people that are going to spend the hospitals in psychiatric wards. There are people that are going to spend their holidays just alone in their own apartment and not get out and not be able to and not join with other people. So, you know, one of the things, that's why they have the Neediest Cases Fund in the New York Times, and there are holiday funds, and we do coat drives, and we do toy drives, and there's an awful lot that Connoisseur Media does that is the parent company of ICC and PLR, which does these amazing things, and We Be 108, and all these other wonderful stations in Star 99, and... Um, I'm really proud to be associated with this organization that does so much in the way of charity. But on Fridays, we try and make it a little more personal than than generalized charity, which we hope that everybody does, and I assume you do your part. 
this is a question of a time where you can call in at 203-333-9422, and you can talk about how somebody was just very kind. You know, last week I was telling you that the biggest kindness story that came to me, and I, and I can't help myself, it keeps coming back to me, was the kindness of the nursing staff uh, that helped my mom who had a stroke on Thanksgiving. And she is now home, I'm happy to tell you. She spent her first night at home last night. And the aide that came was very, very kind. And, you know, these people are, are paid, but uh, but they don't have to choose to do what they do, right? I mean, they're not becoming multimillionaires in the nursing world or in the personal care aid world. They're not. Uh, and so they're choosing to spend their time on this earth Uh, helping people, helping people eat, helping people shower, helping people go to the bathroom, helping people uh, take their medicine or put their glasses on or take a walk. And it's the essence of kindness, is it not? 203-333-9422. So I'm hoping that you have a story for us today. Uh, We have our phone lines open. Um, If if we don't get stories of kindness, I'm going to have to go to the news, which is essentially not that kind. 203-333-9422. And I do have a lot of news stories that I wanted to share with you, but I was hoping that we could take this time together and really share because so many people enjoy this conversation on Fridays, and it gets them into a good mood. It gets them. In, it gets you into a good mood uh, on the way out to enjoy your weekend. I don't know what your holiday plans are. But uh, whatever they are, I have a feeling that some of them will be spent buying gifts for people. Uh, I know that that's what I'll be spending a lot of my tomorrow doing. We are having our annual annual Hanukkah party on Sunday. My Aunt Cookie, who opens her house to some cousins and some nieces and grandchildren and children. And we'll do a little bit of an exchange of gifts. And Aunt Cookie will make us read the Hanukkah story in parts. Everybody gets a paragraph. We will light the menorah. She has a ton of them. Everybody gets to light their own menorah, practically. And um, and we will probably have some pizza and potato lockers. 203-333-9422 to start the ball rolling. Let's go to, is that Evie's or Evie of Bridgeport? Eve. 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 Hi, Eve. Hello, How Eve. You Hi. 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 Uh, guys, I'm so happy to see you, boys. And you're doing a perfect job for Bridgeport, you know? Oh. Which is about time which will get that situation is a new life for these people. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So I meant you answer that conversation you're talking about to help, you know, that's my last name to help, you know, uh, poverty. That's my last name. I'm, you know, so happy to, you know, to connect with you. But, you know, and not on the air. Oh, you would like to connect with me not on the air? Uh, no, not on air. We have, you know, to discuss things that because not not on air. I don't know. I don't say right now, but I know here in this country, everybody have a plan for something. Okay. You know, you figure out your plan, you schedule, and you tell me. You know, I'm a bridge bot. So and thank uh, you, Eve. Okay. Oh yes. Oh, you yeah, be well it. and have a happy holiday. You be well okay. and have a good New Year. I'm Lisa okay. Wexler. We're going to be right back. If you've got an Amazon Echo or a Google Home, then you've got the Lisa Wexler Show. Now on WICC 600 AM and 107.3 FM. And welcome back to the show. And welcome back to the show. 
203-333-9422 is our number. We had not gotten a chance to share any kindness of stranger stories. If you have one, by all means, call up now. But I'm going to move on to some other news stories and news that I wanted to share for you on this Friday. And I do hope that you've got some nice plans. We are going to be having a an annual Kiwanis holiday party tomorrow. So I think I'm doing, you know, now that I think about it, I better get organized. I think I'm going to do a Hanukkah something or other and tell people about the holiday if I can remember it year to year. I better take a refresher myself. And by the way, I loved when Melissa Sheketoff was talking with her mom, Claude, about potato latkes. So I'm just going to tell you that my grandmother from the old country, my grandma Helen, she made unbelievable potato latkes, but she didn't make it just on Hanukkah. We had it every week, or we had it whenever we went to her house. And she was not a deep fryer. She did not believe in deep frying. So everything was very lightly fried. And the way that she would make potato latkes, and this is our family recipe, pretty much the same ingredients that Claude has, but done a little bit differently. Uh, so the way we make potato latkes, here's the, the, the Cayman family recipe of potato latkes, and it comes out fabulously yummy, is you take your potatoes and you boil them. So she didn't have food processors in those days, and we didn't do any shredders, and nothing needs anything but a fork. But, you know, it takes a little time. You have to boil the potatoes, and she would peel them. So you peel the potatoes and you boil them. And you boil them until they're soft enough to mash with a fork. And then you put them in a bowl and you add an egg. And you have to maybe once in a while add two eggs because it depends how many potatoes you have, right? This is one of the things that you have to see on site. You have to add enough egg so that it's the potatoes are sticky to each other a little bit so that they don't fall apart. And it, the egg is basically the binding agent. And you throw in an egg or two. And you mix it up and you throw in a teeny bit of salt, just like Claude said, and some more pepper, a little bit more pepper than salt. And then we, instead of doing onion powder, which you can do, or minced onion, which you can do, Grandma always would throw in an actual minced onion, which is a little bit watery. So, you know, but but that's what she would do. Maybe half an onion for five pounds of potatoes, and she would dice it up and throw it into the mix. And that was it, because she was a purist, no flour. But then what she would do is you would make the potato, and in order to stick together, the potato needs to be a little bit lumpy. Remember, it's already been cooked, so it's cooked all the way through. But if you make it too fine, it falls apart. So you're trying to create these semi-lumpy, I would say an inch-thick pancake-like things they don't, you know what they don't look? They don't look like pancakes when my grandma made them. They look more like croquettes. You remember like these things that used to be called croquettes? They were like lumpier than pancakes. And then you would roll them in matzo meal, not flour, matzo meal. She rolled them in matzo meal. But just like Claude, you can't use olive oil for a good potato pancake. I've tried. The oil cooks too slowly. It's not right. You need to use a vegetable oil. The cheaper, the better. Crisco, Mazzola, whatever. The cheapest vegetable oil that you can use is the best frying. That's the number one tip. To make potato pancakes, you do not want to use olive oil. It cooks too slowly. It saturates it too much. It doesn't work. It doesn't give you the texture and consistency that you like. Anyway... And, and then there's an art to frying, and I cannot tell you that I p- particularly perfected it. I try. And my sister makes a better potato pancake than I do. She has perfected it better than I. But the, I, but the secret is vegetable oil, so a little bit of salt and some pepper, some onion with potato, and we just roll it in matzo meal, and that's it. And it's divine. 
and we are a lightly frying family. We, we fry things very, very lightly. 203-333-9422. And then when it comes out, you have to put it on paper towels and let the oil... So you never take the potato pancake out directly to your plate. You keep it on a paper towel, and you let a lot of that excess oil and moisture soak into the paper towel so it doesn't get into your gut. And then when it's a little bit cool... It isn't bright, bright hot, and a lot of that oil has soaked out on the paper towel. Then you put it to your plate, and that's how we eat it. And I, every time I uh, have one of my sister's potato locusts, I'm really back in Queens or I'm back in Far Rockaway. I'm with my Grandma Helen and my Papa Benny, and I'm sitting at the table with them with an amazingly fresh home-cooked meal of the best lettuce and tomato salad. And she never even put dressing on it. It's just lettuce and tomato. I don't know how. She always got it so crisp, so red, so yummy, um, with typically some roast chicken and yummy, yummy vegetables. And sometimes she made meatballs that had rice in them. And that's what she ate. And sometimes she'd make chicken fricassee or something like that. And that was basically the same meal that my grandma ate and fed my Papa Benny for their entire lives. It was sometimes a little bit of beef, but it was mostly chicken and vegetables with an apple for dessert. Sometimes she would make apple cake or rugelach. And that's what we ate all the time, like every day, no variety. But here's the thing. It was always delicious. It didn't have any variety, but every time you ate it, you felt like you were eating a satisfying, tasty, healthy meal. It kept my grandma alive for 106 and a half years. It kept Papa alive for 91. And the only reason that he passed is because he tripped over an elevator that didn't meet the floor. And once he tripped over the elevator that didn't meet the floor, a, a series of broken hips and horrible things happened, and he was dead a week later. 203-333-9422. Elizabeth from Stamford. Do you have a kindness of stranger story for us today? I would love to hear it. Yes, I do. Thank you. Hi, Thank Lisa. Thank you. Hi. So I was in the hospital waiting the ER with family member. Um, those details not important, well, except peripherally. And, um, you know, it's challenging when you're taking care of someone and there's illness and I'm sure, you know, you know yourself. So I, there was a, a woman and a man. The man was in the wheelchair. I overheard her saying it was her brother. When you're in the ER, you're waiting a long time. You just get to watch and hear everyone. And um, they're, I don't know, I'm guessing they're in their 50s or 60s. And he is somewhat disabled uh, mentally, physically, he's not able to move in the wheelchair, and he's just screaming out things, screaming. And she is at her wit's end. And so uh, as a caregiver kind of gal myself, I connected with her, and I, at some point we just made eye contact, and she said, I have to go get something. I'm like, could you just watch my coat? And I can't really leave him. She had already tried. She was taking him with her, and she, she just said, I need to leave him for a minute. I said, that's okay, I'll watch. And somehow she mentioned her name was Jill. Okay. So as she walked away, I called out to her, and I said, Jill. I said, God bless you. Oh, what I forgot to say is she was at her wit's end. She's screaming at him, shut up, Aye. shut up. And I'm thinking, Aye. yeah, I'm thinking Aye. just what you think. But except I realize what happens is that's not who she is. Mm. But she's embarrassed. She's at her wit's end. It was really a horrible situation. So she walked by. I called out to her. I said, Jill. And she turned around. And I said, God bless you. Oh. I said, I see. I said, I see you. 
I see you. So she said, oh, thank you so much. And then she went up and then she came back and it was just, I wanted her to know, I see you. Mm. Well, later, once we all, hours later, hours, I mean, I never, we waited nine hours to be admitted. I didn't think it was actually real. But in any case, it does happen. So I saw her in the, in the ER where you actually are in a room and we were each getting water or something. And I saw her, I said, hello. And I said, Jill, I see you. And she said to me, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. And and the reason I did that was, well, I wanted her to know because I connected with her. People who are caregivers do so much and they're often invisible. Mm. And, and I want to say related to that, um, because I've done a lot of caregiving for my parents and people will ask me, even my best friends, how's your mom? How's your dad? But very rarely, very, do they ask me? How are you? How are you doing? And during this whole hospital stay, one person, one sister-in-law, actually, not my friends, not my siblings, (laughs) called to say, how are you doing? Mm. So I'm calling to say, to offer this to people when you say, gee, I don't know what to say, what to do. It's just to reach out to a friend or family member or someone who you know is caring for someone else and it's a lot in addition to the person getting the care and believe me they need it too yeah, of course. it's just how are you how are you doing mm-hmm. and it's not you're the wonderful daughter oh yeah i hear all that that's not it it's how are you doing mm-hmm. and maybe they say can i can i get you know well, listen i want to send you something or maybe they send a card even just send a card i'm a real card person yeah cards are great people don't seem to get that yeah so it was the moment when she looked at me and said, oh, thank you so much, because I knew she was more than the woman yelling, shut up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And, oh, my goodness. That. And it's so terrible, by the way, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking there is nothing worse than hearing another human being, a baby crying mm-hmm. or an adult screaming in pain. It's like it's mm-hmm. horrible. It's horrible to hear it. I mean, we all want nobody to be in pain. It's terrible. And this was, I think this was not pain, though, Lisa. This this situation, it was not Tourette's, but it was like that. Oh, it was, he had trouble communicating, and this is just how he did it. And I somehow see. they knew the, like, she she knew the language. She could figure out he wanted certain things, but it was screaming. screaming. Now, oh, the, screaming in, oh, the screaming in pain, you hear that in the ER, and it's, oh, yeah, tears your heart. So were yeah. you ever a nurse, Elizabeth? No. No. No, not a nurse, but I like to say I have all but the degree in the CNA. Ah. You know, all but the certificate or whatever. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, just from family. And, you know, you're a daughter, although you have a sister. I do, and we share so. everything. It's amazing. We're a tag team. That's lovely. As jo- Jill said yeah. to me yesterday, I did the beginning, meaning she admitted mommy. She picked up mommy, and I did the middle when she was at the rehab. But but, but between the two of us, I mean, we really have it covered. I arranged for the agency to come, and she arranged for the bars to be installed in the shower. I mean, we really... We really help each other, and we're in constant communication. And we do frequently say to each other, what do people do if they don't have us? Like, mm-hmm. right? Like, what do people do if mm-hmm. they don't have caring daughters or caring sons or a tag team or one? Or They, they manage, but they don't manage as well. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. They don't manage as and- well. 
that's for sure. And thank you for uh, all the things, all the segments you've had related to the situation with your mom and dad, uh, the segments on your show, because all those resources are very interesting and helpful to those to whom they're interesting and helpful. Yeah, I'm and, learning uh, a lot, too. Yeah. I agree with you. All the stuff about stroke sure. and Medicare and senior care options, and it's all mm-hmm. coming at me. And if it's coming at me, it's coming at a lot of other people, too. That's the point, Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And as the other callers have said, I really enjoy and appreciate hearing your family story. So thank you for sharing the uh, news as it comes along. It's very nice. It's very nice for me. I I know when I listen to the radio, I also want to hear a little bit about the person speaking to the mic. You know. Oh, there you are. I lost you. Sorry. We're, we're not robots, right? So it's nice to hear stories, real personal stories about people's lives, because that's the point, right? Radio is such an intimate Absolutely. medium, but here I am talking to you, and I'm really just talking to you on the phone. That's all it is. Hi, how are you? So that's the way I feel about it. So I think it's good. I like to share. Yes. Thanks. Thanks, Elizabeth. So thank you. Best wishes. Thanks. Best wishes. Thank Have you. a great holiday. Have a great holiday season. Be with your people. Uh, anyway, our, our number here, 203-333-9422, continues throughout the day. Paul Paselli will be joining us from 2 to 6 for Connecticut Today. And Dave Ramsey comes up from noon to 2. And on Monday, I'll be back behind the mic with um, some other great guests. And if you have to ask me who's coming on, the answer is I don't remember. But they're coming, and they'll, they'll be great. And um, I just want to say this. Um, I just want to say thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of my life and my community. And I hope that we'll keep the conversation going on Facebook and on social media. Lisa Wexler Radio is my Instagram. I'm busy posting and podcasting and all that good stuff to keep the conversation alive. We'll be back behind the mic on Monday.